Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. On this week's episode, I interviewed Rob Warren. On Twitter, he's known as Bikes and Bitcoin. Um, and Rob works with Upstream Data. And he's, you know, in the Bitcoin mining world, obviously, with uh, Upstream. And, you know, so they have the black box. And I think I first came across Rob uh, whenever he posted how he did his own DIY black box to uh, cut down on the noise of the miner. Uh, he made one at home. And, uh, you know, he has a tutorial, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I put that in the show notes uh, if you want to check it out. Um, and just so you guys know, I'm in the process. I'm probably going to build my own, I guess. But um, I did, you know, like some preliminary research. I went to like Home Depot and, uh, and went there with, you know, the specs and stuff. And I said, can you guys, you know, cut this here in the store? And they're like, oh, yeah. So, you know, it, it's not even you don't even have to get super crazy with cutting everything at home um you know just uh he, he gives this tutorial on the supplies what you need and everything like that um, but also rob was just a wealth of knowledge with bitcoin mining and and you know where this is going to go with especially with you know energy and people trying to sell their energy and bitcoin or bitcoin miners being the uh, best place to sell it whenever they can't get it to somebody else to use so uh i hope you guys enjoy this one i want to thank our sponsor the bitbox o2 hardware wallet go to shiftcrypto.ch slash bitcoin made simple and use the promo code bitcoin made simple to get five percent off your hardware wallet and oh um yeah so the movies plus uh we're pretty we're pretty badass uh, streaming platform that you know sticks up for freedom of speech and uh you know honestly you plebs are the ones that uh, really help this engine run because uh most of our, our our most viewed content is frequently the bitcoin content so we have five documentaries up there i'm adding i know i'm adding another one and here's the big surprise um we are working with Swan Bitcoin to put together uh, to get the Hard Money Show. So Hard Money with Natalie Brunel, um, that is now available on Movies Plus. And if you want to get a discount, go to Movies Plus, mymoviesplus.com, and you can use the promo code SWAN. And if you use the promo code SWAN, you'll get a year of Movies Plus for $20. And then email me and we will make sure that you get $20 in Bitcoin from Swan. So how about that? You get $20 in Bitcoin and a free Movies Plus subscription. So it's for new subscribers and new, uh, and it's for new Swan users. Um, but yeah, we thought we'd, uh, you know, help chip in there and let's, uh, you know, we scratch each other's backs here and, uh, and all work together to build towards a brighter future. And I got a bunch of stuff to announce with movies plus really excited uh, a lot of things on the precipice right on the edge of coming to fruition so uh you know just uh, keep your fingers crossed say your prayers and we will maybe get there uh you know it's just about to happen so ready to pop this thing off anyways enough of that enough of me talking if you want to reach out to me just uh follow me on twitter at cory underscore tusic and you can email the show bitcoin made simple podcast at gmail.com thanks Rob, tell me a little bit about your background um, and, and how you got into Bitcoin. For sure. For sure. Yeah, so I, I was actually um, first heard about Bitcoin through, if you know, Juan Casares, um, who had essentially a custody company and was getting interviewed on uh, a totally non-Bitcoin podcast uh, called Econ Talk. 
And so I heard about it first then when I was actually still living down in New Orleans. I'm on the Colorado Front Range now. And like every, like everyone else who was working in startup thought to myself, oh, look at this thing. It seems like a bit of an asymmetric bet, right? You know, you sort of come for the gains and stay for the revolution. And so I looked into it. And at the time it was trading, you know, like three, 400, promptly forgot about it. And then, uh, you know, the light bulb finally clicks as it does for, for a lot of folks and started buying uh, 2017, right? As we were kind of coming after that, like just had broken a thousand and we're going through that, that, uh, that last cycle bull run. And I sort of looked at it like a lot of people did, which is like, Hey, look at this is an asymmetric bet. You know, it's, it's sort of the, as much of a, a Robin Hood D den that you could be in 2017 is that you would look for things that seemed like they had more upside than downside. I uh, didn't really understand the, the network itself. Uh, didn't understand what made Bitcoin so you didn't understand the properties of the network. That learning really came in like 2020, 2021. Uh, yeah, and then it's it's one of those things that, you know, like a lot of folks, like you get in for one reason and then you grow, you learn, you realize, holy cow, there's a lot more to this than I previously thought. And the light bulb really started clicking in 2019, 2020, and then 2020, 2021. And I've since sort of jumped in with both feet, both transitioning, you know, professionally to doing growth and business development uh, with upstream data. So obviously we do uh, essentially an oil field service company that also produces data centers and generators for mining Bitcoin off of flared vent waste, natural gas. Uh, and then I'm also a partner in a privacy hosting company called Distributed Hash, uh, which is based up in Wyoming, essentially giving folks the opportunity to, to mine and to do so in a way that isn't as fiat, right? Isn't going to wind up getting your hash reactivated if it happens to be in Russia. And, you know, you're not going to have to wait eight months to have your stuff go online. And I'm trying to really avoid a lot of the issues that people are running into now. You know, fundamentally, the network runs on people that secure it. And in my mind, you know, mining is one of those things that, if you start explaining Bitcoin from the mining side, people can actually understand it a little bit easier because it's the most physical thing. It's the most tangible thing, right? You start talking about, oh, well, monetary policy and, you know, mm -hmm. the, the, the inability to forge something and the verifiability. And it just doesn't, it doesn't click to people, you know, not a lot of engineers don't, um, don't often realize that not everybody thinks like an engineer. Uh, they need something in their face. They need to look at, at a machine and say, okay, this is the thing that, uh, that is doing X, Y, Z thing. Uh, and because it does that, you're able to secure this network. You're able to sort of add the horsepower to the Bitcoin network. Um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of where I've come from, what I'm in now. Um, yeah, and I'm excited to jump in and uh, explore the least understood part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. And if anybody tells you they've got a lock on, you know, what Bitcoin mining is or how it works and um, have all the secrets, you should definitely turn around and run as quickly as possible because uh, it's absolutely baffling. It's a baffling part of of Bitcoin and it's really only just getting started. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, I started mining. I turned my miner on, I think like on May 25th. Um, and, uh, and I, I figure, I mean, I had been waiting so long to get into it and I was like, you know what? I just got to do it. And at least, you know, not buy like a $500 one. Like I got to buy like, you know, brand new, like 110 terahash. What's minor? Let's go. 
And that way I'll like really understand it. I wanted to buy a lot more, but my wife was like, just get one and, you know, <laughs> let's, you know, take our time. Um, yeah. And I was like, first off, oh my God, this thing's loud. Um, second, it blows off a lot. Oh, of you had it in the house. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, we'll review that later. Cause I have some questions there for you. Cause you have more experience there, but, but yeah, it, it, it is one of the most tangible ways to explain it to people. Cause like, for example, I had my uh, brother and his family over yesterday and I showed him the minor and like, it made sense to him from the standpoint that I was like, yeah, it makes like, I was like with the price being down right now, I don't know, you know, like 10 bucks, uh, you know, something like that. Maybe like if it, I mean, if it really dips in the hash price hasn't changed, you know, maybe it makes five bucks a day. I don't know, I was sure. like, but it, it makes money. And he was able to look at that and be like, ah, you know, like, yeah, like that makes sense. Like, and I've been telling people, you kind of change your mindset a little bit where like, if you could buy a business for eight grand and it immediately starts kicking off free cash flows, you would do yeah. it. So like, you know, why not get into it? And then, so from that com- perspective, I was like, I need to do it. And then also you're, there's just so much to learn. So I was like, I don't even know if I'm going to be in profit for like a little bit, just because I'm figuring out like, is my electric cost going up because of the air conditioning? You know, like what, what is happening that's causing, where's yeah. my profitability line? You know, how much of the, is the miner using? So, um, so yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you with, uh, I think it's important and I think it's a good way to understand it. Um, and, uh, and you said something before we started the call, before we start going down the just purely mining rabbit hole, but you said, uh, you know, I said, we were talking about being distracted from everybody on Twitter, talking, everybody's freaking out. Um, and you said, welcome to the Thunderdome. Um, so we, if you were getting in and the ramp up in 2017, you were here for it. You, you lived through the, oh my God, we're at 20K. And then it just, the floor just absolutely dropped out from under everybody. So this is, this is to be expected, right? Like yeah. this is, we're what, 60 some percent, 70% drawdown. Like I heard about these times, but this is, this is new for me. It's here. I mean, it's par for the course, right? The biggest, the biggest thing is like, it's, it's simple. And everybody is going to troll you during a bull market when you're saying, you know, the in, in pure Matt Odell form, stay humble, stack sats, mm-hmm. don't over leverage yourself, don't get out over your skis and try to, you know, play a bunch of financial trickery. Um, don't do that. Stay, keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple, keep it simple. And, you know, my, my personal thesis is very much one where, you know, people like to attack Bitcoin and say, oh, you know, it's not stable or it's super volatile or how can you invest it if it's doing this or how can you do this if it's doing this? You know, at the end of the day, well, the most important thing is network growth because the volatility is going to happen. Price volatility is going to happen regardless. You can't, you can't bring this entire new financial ecosystem online without people coming in, over leveraging, having boom and bust cycles simply happen. The best thing for you to do is to simply not over leverage yourself. You know, we, we're very much sort of, I think a lot of folks in the Bitcoin space are looking at this sort of end of days USD moment, right? And, you know, maybe that happens three months from now. Maybe that happens three years from now. Maybe that happens 12 years from now. The best way to not get wrecked is to don't, don't play stupid games. You don't play stupid games. You don't play stupid prizes. You know, you stay humble, you stack sats, you don't get worked up in what the new way to earn an additional X percent yield on your coin is. Because uh, as we're seeing right now, and I really 
think that we're going through a bit of a deleveraging on the business side of things where all of these sort of Bitcoin adjacent companies who have gotten into these sort of bad practices are now starting, starting to deleverage because of a general macro phenomenon that's happening. And so they're winding up having to do things with their Bitcoin. You've seen, you know, even this morning, people are trying to assay how much Bitcoin Celsius has so they can get an idea of if they have to start liquidating what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, people are worried about Taylor. Oh, what's his, what's his liquidation point? What's he going to do? You know, at the end of the day, the best way to not worry about this stuff is to not play stupid games. You know, build in the Bitcoin space, do so in a way that is not leveraged. And, you know, at the end of the day, they say time heals all wounds. Well, time heals all Bitcoin pains. You know, if you're in for one cycle, you get to feel that rush of, holy crap, here we go again. If you're in for two cycles, you know, I mean, if you're looking cycles back, a lot of those people, a lot of those people, if they could not play stupid games and just kind of held and did their thing, a lot of those folks are, are retired now or they get to choose their careers in, in much more um, self-directed ways. So, you know, if you can do one cycle, you can do two cycles. Just don't do stupid good stuff yeah. with your bitcoin you know don't put your don't put yourself in undue risk yeah i mean that's what i tell people you have to get like to a certain point like let's just say hypothetically speaking even if you were somebody that was on like because a lot of people are saying get on zero get on zero which is like a dangerous thing to do like i always tell people buy bitcoin with money that you're okay with like not touching for four years yeah and um that way the price you don't sweat the price but I would tell, I would just recommend to people at a minimum, like you should have that six month runway of safety net. Just, you know, I mean, you know, life is, you, you need that. Um, so if you can get to, if you have a six month runway, great. If you start stacking on top of that, great. That's just my, this isn't financial advice. I'm just telling advice for people to be careful, you know, and, and, um, and don't, like you said, don't over leverage yourself. It just, it's a dangerous game and, yeah, so neither of us will pretend to know what exactly is going on in the market, but it, it'll be interesting to see what happens here with Celsius and all that stuff. Um, That's right. But uh, so, so you told me a little bit how you got into mining, um, but like really what was the switch for you that like you were like, aha, like I've got to do mining in addition to stacking sets? I mean, there's, there's a ton of reasons, right? Um, the vast majority of people, I think, are really used to this idea of, you know, how do I acquire? Yeah, how do I win? And so the primary conversation that most people have is, okay, which exchange should I sign up for? And then it's sort of the 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 best of the worst is what you have to sort through, right? You know, am I going to go with Kraken or Coinbase or, or, or whomever else is going to sell me Bitcoin? And with that comes a whole series of uh, of KYC of AML requirements that you have to move through. And it's easy because it integrates with the current banking system. But if you care about privacy and you care about you know, protecting your Bitcoin and, and custodying in a way um, that you're not going to receive a knock on the door in a couple of years, you know, the next question you ask yourself is, well, okay, I guess we could just buy no KYC Bitcoin. And so you do that for a little bit. And so you go to BISC or you go to the you know, Aztec.co. Uh, and those are great, great services. Um, and you can buy Bitcoin that way. Uh, and then I think the next question you ask yourself is, well, why am I going through all this when I could actually support the network directly and I can get the Bitcoin myself and I can then stack sats, through, you know, especially because we're not we're not in a hyper Bitcoin 
Coinize world. So you, there's still sort of this not over leveraging, but we're, we're existing in a fiat system. You're buying miners typically, you know, priced in USD, um, not priced in Bitcoin. You might pay in Bitcoin, but they're not going to be priced in, uh, in Bitcoin. They're going to be priced in USD. Um, why don't you treat this as essentially a, an opportunity to, as you say, sort of buying a business or buying an entity that cash flows? Why don't you think of this as, as essentially investing in, in uh, the pickaxes themselves? And then you're sort of opening up this world of, of mining as, as a very new and very unique way to participate in the Bitcoin network. Because there's one thing to say, you know, buy your Bitcoin, go no KYC, self-custody, throw everything on a cold card, do your multi-sig. Okay, that's great. It's very different if you're saying like, okay, well, now how do I use waste products in the energy market to power Bitcoin miners? Well, that's a really interesting problem. And it's a huge problem in the energy space. You know, massive amounts of natural gas are vented or flared just, just or even leaked into the atmosphere and that's wasted product. So there's waste product on the energy production side. And then on the other side of things, you know, there's waste from the actual energy use of the miner itself. So now you're opening up this avenue into home mining where there's a really incredible amount of building when it comes to things like, can I throw my miner in an immersion setup and then heat my water for my house mm -hmm. or heat my HVAC system during the winter? You know, that, that is an entire domain of mining that hasn't even really been touched by people yet. Um, in mind, that's going to be something that, that becomes pretty standard in the next, say, three to five years where people say, okay, well, I can pay to essentially have a sunk cost, which is every time I turn my tap on, I get warm water or my water heater can pay money and it'll cost me, you know, X amount more. And then, you know, the finances of mining themselves have entirely blown up. I actually don't care if I have the most efficient Bitcoin miner. I'm trying to get my water, you know, an old S9 that's not going to be quote unquote profitable by sort of standard mining metrics but I don't care because I'm using the waste product. It's all cost recaptured to me. Mm -hmm. um, so I think I've kind of went through the full arc right there. There's a lot to a lot to jump in on. So kind of let me know what uh, what perked your ears up on that front. Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. The what you're saying about um, the waste products, and I think there's just a huge opportunity. I actually just released uh, last week an episode with uh, Michael Schmid, who's doing the Bitcoin water heater. Love him. Um, and, awesome you know, guy. Oh, yeah. Just great dude. And like I just told him, I was like, dude, the entrepreneurial side of me, I am ready to go. Like because I said it would be funny to to orange pill Mark Cuban by going into Shark Tank with a product and you describe the product as like, hey, you attach this to the out this little box to the outside of your water heater, hook, hook in these pipes and it heats your water. And you don't pay for the heat water heating anymore. You actually make money off of it. And they would all be That's like, right. they'll be like, take my money, take my money. This is the greatest product. Like how, you know, cause you, like Michael was saying, when, wouldn't you go into a home Depot and you had to go get a new water heater. And it was like, or just keep that tank that you have there and attach this device. You can take it to a, take it from us for free. And you'll also make a little bit of money every month. So it's like a, you know, such an easy pitch. And then like Mark, we were just laughing saying Mark Cuban would be like, you know, how does this exactly work? You know? And then you'd be like, Oh, it's a Bitcoin miner. He'd be like, ah, like, you know, um, <laughs> get him stuck there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that there's just such a huge market there to repurpose the energy and, um, and, 
I'm thinking of ways that it could be repurposed, like just all over the place. Like I've seen people, you know, do greenhouses, you know, that are heated by uh, Bitcoin miners and, you know, um, and I think of that Einstein, is it Einstein? I don't know. I'm an idiot. So don't take this plebs, but like somebody, I think it was Einstein said that in it's a law of physics that energy can't be destroyed or created. It just can be transferred. And sure. You know, so it's like, you're taking that electrical energy and, you know, a lot of people say like Bitcoin is energy. Eh. Like it's the, it's the monetary value that somebody will have to expend energy to acquire from you at a later date, but it's not electric. It's not actual electricity, but you can turn that electricity right. into heat. You know, you can turn it into this, that, the other thing. And, and so like with my, um, with my miner, like as soon as I plugged it in, like I said to you earlier, it was so loud and so hot. And I was like, I told my wife, I said, I can say with pure confidence, this will heat our house in the winter. Just the one like, yeah, it blows off so much heat. So it's like now in the summertime, what do I do with it? You know, what, what, what do I do with that heat? I got to figure something out. Get a BitBox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. Go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin made simple to get a BitBox O2 hardware wallet. Use the promo code bit. Uh, Use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple. Duh. Use the promo code Bitcoin Made Simple, and you can get five percent off your Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. And I cannot stress enough to you: if you guys are listening to this, then that means you pay attention and you are well aware that you need to get your Bitcoin off the exchanges. Because I have a feeling, me thinkus, some of these are going to go belly up. Uh, so you think, oh, Coinbase is a really safe one? I don't know. Um, we are catching a lot of people that have, uh, you know, been uh, swimming with their trunks off uh, and the tide has gone out and they're all standing there going, oh, my God, I don't have any of your Bitcoin on the ex- uh, anymore. I was rehypothecating it. My bad. Um, so, yeah, why don't you protect yourself? Get a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet and it, transfer that stuff. It's simple, sleek, sexy, as Luke says, and it's uh, it's easy to use. Get your Bitcoin off the exchange. Put it on a Bitbox O2 hardware wallet. Go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin made simple and use the promo code Bitcoin made simple to get 5% off. But um, you've talked about that in like the in the, the energy, the gas in industry, like, you know, using their wasted gas. Like, where do you see the innovations coming? You know, are, are these oil and gas companies going to start like figuring out how to produce these different products? Or I mean, what, what do you think happens over the next couple of years? So the biggest the biggest thing that you have to remember on the commercial side of things is that oil producers want to sell their product to an energy market. You know that that is the general thesis. You know it, whether you are you know digging a frack well, whether you have a coal pit, whether you have you know a nuclear power plant, anyone who is investing in the energy production side of things wants a buyer. And I think that the way that most people think about energy, particularly electric energy, is it really comes from the residential side of things. We think of energy in terms of, oh, I get my electric bill and I get my gas bill and that's energy. You know, energy is that. Or, oh, look at that. You know, I'm going to plug my Tesla in of, you know, putting a couple of gallons of unleaded into my F-150. We, we really have only been trained as consumers to understand energy from the angle of people who are buying energy. And so there's been this huge kind of progressive moral agenda towards, oh, we have to get rid of the bad energy. 
energy and bring the good energy. And that opens up this whole rabbit hole about, you know, production and supply chains and pipelines anyway. But I think it's missing the fundamental point, which is that energy producers need buyers. And what Bitcoin mining allows you to do is to essentially bring the buyer of energy, both the first and by the, the buyer of first resort and the buyer of last resort, you can bring them directly to the market wherever the marketplace is. So for instance, one of the biggest issues with a lot of renewables is that a lot of renewable production sites are terribly far away from the actual consumption site. You know, energy is a really interesting thing in that it is not something that is predominantly transportable across national lines. Every country mm-hmm. is essentially producing their energy internal, you know, in, natively in their country, whatever that might be. And even in something like the US where you have multiple grids, it's not like it's even particularly easy for me to send electricity from New York to California. It can't really be done. You know, you're hopping grids at that point. And especially, you know, I can speak to the, the Rocky Mountain Front Range, you know, a state like Wyoming that actually has huge, uh, huge solar and huge wind production, very, very consistent wind production in Wyoming. There's no buyers. There's no buyers. You know, Wyoming is eight has, you know, around half a million people, half a million people. They're essentially wasting energy. You drive, you drive up 25 and then you cut um, north from Douglas and you keep going north and you basically have coal plants on one side and you have uh, wind turbines on the other side. And the vast majority of the time when you drive by there, half those turbines are turned off. And so now think like a producer, think like somebody who says, oh, we're gonna do something green. We're going to produce energy. They want a buyer. They want a buyer. They don't just want a buyer, they need a buyer. And so something like a quote unquote renewable, like a solar or a wind, their peak production times are not at peak consumption times. When the sun is shining the hardest in the middle of the day and the wind is blowing the hardest in the middle of the day, they are producing the most energy. The buyers are not there. You know, buyers are typically operating on what's called the debt curve, which is a very common common consumption curve in uh, just in energy markets overall. Um, what if you can bring the buyer to the seller? You look at something like an energy producer. So take like a coal plant, you know, coal plants, depending on their build, I know of one in Wyoming that wants to operate at approximately 6% load consistently. Now, the reason for that is because it's a coal plant, which means that you've got these big turbines going, you've got all these coal scrubbers, all these integrated systems that need to be kept at appropriate pressures. You don't always have 60% demand on your plant. So what happens when the demand goes to 40%? Well, all of a sudden, my turbines are spinning slower, which doesn't just affect that system. It affects every additional system in my energy production, in my energy producer, in my actual power plant. And something like a coal scrubber actually become disproportionately less efficient. So you're using less energy, using less energy, but you're worse environmentally because you don't have that base load there. It's the same thing when you go to any type of energy production, you go to nuclear. Nuclear guys want base load on their plants. And the reason for that is because if I get big changes in demand, I don't want to have to be moving these, these radioactive rods in and out uh, of, of, of the main core. Mm-hmm. And the reason I don't want to do that is because it can take hours, if not days, to change based on demand if I have something like a nuclear plant. So think like a producer. A producer wants somebody to buy their energy. Bitcoin is the only thing on the face of the earth that instantaneous demand that not only will I constantly buy energy from you, 
and I want it continuously because I've got a market that if I want to sell it, I can sell it. You know, not everybody who gets into Bitcoin mining wants to hold Bitcoin. That's that's just the truth. Mm-hmm. On the other side of things, I can sign agreements with these Bitcoin miners, as they often do in Texas, where when the energy price gets to a certain uh, a certain level, the Bitcoin miners don't just serve as people that are buying energy, but they can sell insurance back to the producers and say, when a price gets to a certain amount, you pay us essentially pay out this insurance and we will wind down so that you have that excess capacity to send to Gladys, who's in the middle of Amarillo and wants to turn her AC unit on. So think, thinking like a consumer, this the incentives are incredible because you don't have to actually go to the level of government and say, oh, the EPA wants you to do this thing to reduce waste. Bitcoin consumes waste. You don't have to go and say, well, we want you to turn off so that you can save Gladys so that she can turn her AC on. These guys have already come up with agreements where if it becomes unprofitable to mine, they essentially are selling insurance policies to the grid, so they're shutting off anyway. You know, it's it's one of the, if not the only free market way to actually incentivize growth in the electrical grid that doesn't require the thumb of the government coming in and pushing on the scales. So in that scenario with the insurance you're talking about, are they are they selling actual insurance or what are they are they just in their contract saying like when it gets to a certain price, that would mean there's more basically peak usage and we'll start to scale down our operation at that point. So there's there's two mechanisms and it depends on how you contract it. And this is like we'd be talking about these like multi hundred megawatt guys mm-hmm. there. When energy prices are below a certain level, they are obviously incentivized to buy energy and to mine on it. Right. And the power producers love that because it's base load in the mm-hmm. middle of summer. When you get these hot spiking days in West Texas, they can sell the insurance back to the grid and say to the producer, okay, well, there's actually two mechanisms that are gonna incentivize them to shut down. One is just the natural electricity price. So as the electricity price spikes, as demand goes up, miners are incentivized to shut down at a certain point because they're not profitable. What they can also do because they're so huge is they can go to those energy producers and via the second mechanism, which is essentially a contractual obligation. Hey, if you hit demand that you project is going to be at XYZ percent of your total load of your producer, we will take X number of megawatts off of the uh, offline, right? Which mm-hmm. if you think from the perspective of a producer, how incredible that is, is because I basically get to make money running my facility at you know 250 out of 300 megawatts production. And then when I get that big spike up to say, you know, 300 megawatts of demand, I don't have to freak out because if I have, you know, 50 or hundred megawatts of Bitcoin miners that are on my grid, I can go to these guys and say, hey guys, it's time to take that stuff off. I've got another buyer in the market who takes precedence. You know, Gladys has to get her AC. So this is this is kind of the big boy mining game that I don't think a lot of, not a lot of folks because they don't understand how energy markets work in, in the macro sense, don't really, don't really grasp those dynamics. But it's a fundamental free market dynamic that allows you to keep getting, you know, energy to remote parts of the US. Now, that being said, of course, it does not work perfectly. Of course, there is like a baseload demand. Of course, there's going to be, you know, a hit piece coming on CNN in the next three to six months saying Bitcoin miner means that 15 people starve in XYZ country because they couldn't keep their refrigerator on. I'm sure it will happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the fundamental piece is that it's a free market mechanism that allows energy producers to continue to produce energy and to produce it at larger scale, which is net positive for consumers. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... I think too, it just, 
like I just don't understand how they can be against anything that reduces waste. And like you said, uh, it kind of ensures the the capacity for grids if you're sitting there and you have agreements in place that to handle the spikes. Um, you know, for example, whenever the the ice freeze or whatever happened in Texas, what was that two winters ago or something? Mm-hmm. You know, and all of a sudden they had the they're running out of energy and you know, everybody was you know, going to lose their electricity. And um, I mean, cause it's a, it's such a, one of the things when I got into Bitcoin, I did not think I'd start thinking about the electrical grid and, you know, energy consumption. Um, but I sit there and I like, I see the electrical line going into my house and I just think about like, I mean, that is just basically stuff that's electrons getting pushed. And if they don't go there, they got to go somewhere else and you're going to lose a lot along the way. And I mean, just the amount of waste that there is. So it's like, if you could throw an ASIC at every transformer box and just be like, have it automatically correlated to like, keep it at a base load. Yeah. Yeah. It would, it would be huge for the, the energy companies. Um, There's a business idea right there. I I hate doing (laughs) that on the podcast because then somebody's going to steal it and run with it. Um, Uh But uh but yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's, there's, it's, it's a whole new rabbit hole is That's what right. Bitcoin mining is. Um, and so do you mine at home or do you have them off site? How do you, how do you mine? So we've got the offsite facility uh, up in Wyoming. Distributed Hash is our, is our hosting company that is, that's on grid. Um, essentially the premise around the establishment of that company was that we didn't like the lack of customer service in the hosting space. And we're hearing a lot of horror stories from people who had signed things just to get their hash back and then weren't allowed to actually talk about what they had experienced, but you hear things regardless. And it was, Mm -hmm. um, it's to us that it was a, you know, as, as Steve Barber, CEO of Upstream Data would say, it's a, it's a very fiat-minded way to run a company where you kind of cram everybody on the bus and then figure out how you're going to raise money later. Uh, it's not great for customer service. Um, so that's one thing that we're doing that's very privacy-oriented. You know, we collect only the information that we need. We host everything on our own servers. We don't have any sort of third-party providers that we mess with in this way. Um, that's one way that we mine. I also have been super interested in home mining because of that um, that waste energy side of things. So when my wife and I bought this house that we're in now, it has a solar on the roof. Mm. And the the guy who sold us the house was was very, very excited. He was showing us the energy bill, like, oh, look, it's you know, it's zero dollars every month. And I thought to myself, well, you know, this is fantastic. I was mining in the in in our apartment when we were in an apartment. I built a black box, um, the open source version, and put it on put it on my balcony and had that thing sitting out there in the middle of a uh, of a Rocky Mountain summer. Uh, thought, well, you know, what could I do from the house side of things that would that would kind of capitalize on on what we have here? Um, so I actually went ahead and built a uh, essentially took an S nine. Uh, which is for those sort of non-miners to be considered sort of old gen technology. It is about three times less efficient than sort of current new generation, like ant miners uh, or BT miners that you might be looking at that are in like the multi thousands. You can get them for a few hundred bucks. They're, they're pretty rugged. I've got basically a stack of S9 boards sitting behind me. 
um, that are in various states of having had the crap beat mm-hmm. out of them. So they're tanks and you can experiment on them. Uh, and at the end of the day, if you are mining for non-fundamentally commercial reasons, um, they're the perfect tool to play with. So I actually went through the process uh, earlier in the year of mounting an S9 in my laundry room, taking the fans off of it, then taking an inline fan, like a, a four, six inch uh, inline fan, pumping air through that S9, which then of course would be heated because the S9 is running. Mm-hmm. And then I dump that air via some ducting into my HVAC system. So all winter, I essentially had this S9 running silently because I took the fans off. I was using, you know, uh, uh, this inline fan. I had that pumping hot air in my HVAC system all winter, which was fantastic because I'm not having to click my click my heating on, you know, every every half hour or every hour to heat my house. I'm just sort of getting this consistent drip of heat coming through my my registers. And then when the summer comes, as it does now, I literally just take the system, I turn it 180 degrees. And now I suck the cool air from my basement. It goes through the inline fan and I pump that excess out uh, through an extra dryer exhaust vent that we have. Uh, And the bill for my electric is still zero because obviously in the middle of summer, you've got very hot days. And so essentially I'm getting paid to consume electricity that's coming off my roof. And it hasn't, you know, impacted anything, uh, anything in regards to like my my quality of life, or I haven't had to sort of, you know, buy or modify things or make some huge investment. The whole setup, I think, costs less than about four hundred and fifty dollars. That's interesting because, um, so we we bought a new house and we were contemplating solar um, mainly for the for the sovereignty, you know, like because right. we we moved out into the country and. We have, we have our water, we have our own like sewage, you know, everything's on our own. The only thing that I depend on utilities for is the internet and electricity. So I was like, if I can get electricity taken care of, then I literally need to get the uh, Elon Musk internet and I'll be good to go. You know what I mean? Um, Like I can, the the world, yeah, the world could go to hell and we would live our normal life and our uh, everything would be fine. Um, exactly. So, but the, the one thing with the solar was, I mean, it comes with a ton of tax incentives right now, which yeah, I'm like, okay, in my mind, I'm like, either like put that, put that tax money aside and buy Bitcoin with it, buy some miners that are going to start generating. But the main issue was that it will it'll be like 500 and some dollars a month, like for 20 years or something like that. Like it's a, they, Same. they finance it. Um, yeah. I mean, you could pay for it up front. Um, but you know, that's, that's a pretty big investment um, to have. And even still it won't, we, we don't have gas. Everything runs off electric. Mm-hmm. So like our house's consumption exceeds what the solar could do. Um so I, I'm still thinking about it, um, but I want to start. I mean, even then, though, I was like, I'm going to I'm still going to use the electricity from the grid to mine Bitcoin. Um, but you're so you're able to mine Bitcoins purely off of solar at your house. Yeah, it doesn't. Uh, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, if I if, essentially what I'm incentivized to do is be, because I have the solar on the roof is I can throw as many miners on my panel as I want 
until I hit the break even of whatever the ASIC is that I'm running. Mm -hmm. So I can throw a bunch of cheap S9s, which are hashing at about uh, 96 joules per terahash. You know, for comparison, a new generation miner is going to be anywhere from like, you know, 24, 25 up to like 32, 33 joules per terahash. So you get about a 3x efficiency. Um, I don't care about the efficiency if I have this quote unquote excess energy that's coming off my roof, because whatever rate, whatever rate my utility provider is crediting me for the Bitcoin network is actually giving me a better rate. Mm -hmm. So my incentive is not to, uh, not to worry about what my effective rate is, because the only thing I'm concerned with is that it's basically, I'm getting, you know, one or two cents per kilowatt hour from my utility, or I can pull it directly off my roof and I can, I can, have it hashing directly through this miner, essentially straight out to the Bitcoin network, which is a consistent, continual buyer of uh, of Bitcoin, a sort of buyer of energy, so to speak. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm incentivized to keep doing that. I've even talked to folks who, on the commercial side of things, are looking to use uh, Bitcoin mining as a way to either, uh, well, there's one gentleman who who essentially has like a solar install company. And his interest is, you know, is there a way that I can help finance people getting solar on their roofs if I toss a couple of S19s uh, next to their um, next to their HVAC, their 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 AC condenser, and I essentially can, you know, use whatever excess energy they have to power these S19s. You know, I'll I'll front the capital for the S19s; they'll front for the panels. Um, so there are people already thinking. About doing it in that way. I've even heard guys that want to build a microgrid. Um, I believe it's down in Arizona. They want to build essentially a large microgrid, a solar microgrid. They would then, you know, sell that mark, sell eventually to their their main grid. And what they're thinking about is, okay, well, the permitting for this thing is going to take me, you know, potentially 12 to 36 months, depending on how much everyone wants to fuss and fight about it and whose back needs to be scratched. Why don't I just finance the building of this grid? And then throw a bunch of these upstream hashups out there and then just mine and essentially cost capture. I can capture my assets immediately. I can start cash flowing them. As soon as we actually get the clearance to sell to the grid, I can either flip that on and sell to the grid, or if the is what I'm getting from, from my Bitcoin mining, I can I can just continue to do that in some capacity. So it's it's definitely already, and people are thinking of it both on the small scale, the residential side, as well as the large scale, the commercial side. How many acres of solar panels would it take to build a mini grid? And that would have to be huge. Oh, man, I don't know about that one in particular. Um, I would definitely be the wrong person to ask for like the discrete numbers, but you have to upsize. The biggest thing from what I understand, having talked to these guys, is that you have to upsize the the land that you use for your peak demand by like many multiples. And then you have to be concerned with energy storage simultaneously, which is mm. why Bitcoin is such a strong incentive because, you know, Bitcoin is you don't this have immediate, to store it. You don't have to store it. And, you know, there is no storage on the electrical grid. And if you want to go get a megawatt battery, you know, if, if you want to get in the market for that, go see what the supply chain looks like and how long it'll yeah. take you to get a megawatt battery. Um, and then go realize that, you know, nobody's really trying to store a megawatt, you know, people want to store, you know, 50, hundred megawatts. Um, so the math doesn't really, doesn't really add up, but it 
does start to make a little bit more sense when you have an immediate buyer, which is the Bitcoin network. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, that's uh, so I got to run through my home system because basically, For sure. um, so I did, we have, I mean, our house is a decent size. So like I thought, okay, like it's not gonna be noisy. I remember Steve Barber at the conference saying, however loud you think it's going to be, it's going to be louder. However much yep. you think it's going to make, it's going to make more. And I was like, ah, like I had already ordered it at that point. I was like, yeah, it'll be fine. You know? Um, and so I take it down like in our basement and we have like a exercise room off the basement and through that on the other side is the boiler where like the, you know, heater HVAC and everything is like the heat pump, all that stuff. So I was like, I'll just put it back in there. I'll never be able to hear this thing. Um, <laughs> and as soon as I plugged it in, I was like, oh, my God. Um, obviously, the fan really kicks on like, you know, right off the bat. And then it, you know, it finds a balance. Um, but I was like, wow. Like, I mean, if I listened and I'm like two floors up and on the other side of the house, I'd be able to hear it like humming if yeah. I really, really paid attention. Um, and uh, I can certainly hear it on the main floor. So like I could feel my wife's eyes like burning the back of my like neck, you know, like I was just, sitting just there, waiting like, for her to say something. Oh yeah. I waited like, it was like three or four days into it where I was just like, all right. I was like, so I said, to her, I was like, so it's a little bit louder than I thought. And she was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you know, she was being patient uh, and, you know, she lets me mess around with these things that I want to mess around with. Um, but I don't know if it's causing the, the heat, but I do want to pump the heat outside um, yeah. and and get it like I, I can access the outside, like, you know, our basement. There's like, you know, maybe a gap like of a foot or something where I'd be able to access the wall and just with like a dryer vent, you know shoot it out there i've been advised to use eight inches um because six inches will probably choke it um yep and uh is insulated the way to go like an insulated tube or does it not matter uh sorry you're set on keeping it in in your boiler room well that's where i put the that's where i had the uh the electrical outlet installed installed Mm-hmm. So there's the, there's a couple of ways to think about this, right? So we obviously with upstream data, we launched the black box, which is this um, passive product that allows you to essentially store up to two, gen, two new generation miners entirely outside. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've actually been doing a lot of, a lot of guys have been reporting data about how things have been running in the heat. We had a guy who was in that tropical storm in Florida that was taking videos of his his black box getting battered by the wind and things were running fine. Um, the biggest lessons that we've got from those guys have been around the actual, um, the air tightness that inside of the box that creates a differential between your, your hot cold barrier. So if you think of the way a lot of these mining systems, uh, whether it be like a large warehouse, like a large air cooled warehouse, obviously, or something like the black box or something like a hash hut, which we have are these uh, commercial custom buildings be, you know, 20 feet long and fit 230 miners. They all essentially operate in the same principle, which is that you want a really clean differential in your, your hot, cold barrier, and you want that differential to be airtight. Uh, the reason for this is because the, 
these were smart guys who designed these these ASICs, and these are actually really, really powerful. But what you want to avoid at all costs is heat recirculation when you don't want heat recirculation. Mm-hmm. So if I was going from something like a like a downstairs um, sort of a basement setup, first thing I would be concerned with is am I getting enough air intake of my machine? So if mm-hmm. you're running like a single Watts miner, Watts miners have you know pretty powerful fans on them, big daddy fans. I would get something like you know an eight inch or a six inch inline fan. Mm-hmm. The good thing about an inline fan is because when those ace fans get ripping as you know those mm-hmm. cyber hornets that's a function of obviously using a, a, a smaller fan um so it's a smaller fan that is having to spin faster obviously to 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 get the appropriate amount of air to keep those chips cool and i add an inline fan and you can actually do it in sequence you can add the inline fan and leave the the current fans on the machine Mm-hmm. Inline fan is going to be a far, it's still going to hum, but it's going to hum more like your dishwasher and less like that ASIC fan. Mm. So if you get something like an intake, an inline fan uh, that, that you use as an intake, you like eight inch port that to the machine, you leave your stock fans on, and then you go exhaust eight inch to your exterior. As long as you can keep that eight inch, because you really do want more airflow getting through this thing, um, you should be good to start dropping the sound of the machine overall. And the next thing I would think if I was in your shoes would be building one of these like custom custom box setups, more like sort of the cooler setups. Uh, because at the end of the day, the sound is going to come from the fans. You mm-hmm. know, the chips, the chips don't make noise. It's the fans that make the noise. Um, so step one would be get that inline fan, which is going to up your CFM. And that inline fan is is, is different frequency. It's not going to rip. And then step two is like, okay, now how do I start enclosing this actual thing? Uh, whether you want to toss it in a cooler, or you want to build a version of a black box, you want to buy a black box. It, it really doesn't matter. You know, it's, it's all tinkering in this space and it's mm-hmm. it's as much as you want to invest in it. But that's that's really the way I would go with it. Um, if I was running like a single what's mine, if you started to get, say, like, you know, two or three what's miners, I, I, I have heard... Um, I've heard murmurs from guys that do HVAC that you have to start to get you have to be a little bit more conscious about putting too many too many particular gen ASICs into your uh, into your actual like living space and then porting that air externally or pulling air internally. Um, the reason for that is that all all of your HVAC systems in your your house have to be sort of balanced essentially. They have to be sort of loaded appropriately. And you don't really want to create a positive pressure differential or a negative pressure differential in your actual living space, which you could very well do if you start stacking, you know, three, four, five, a six in your basement or something like this. You could you could create a a bit of a vacuum effect, which wouldn't necessarily want because it would start to goof with other systems in your house. So it would start like blowing too much air out or something. And, you know, you'd have like, it would be sucking air from the basement up to the rest of the house and like, like yeah, have like a noticeable like if, um, wind. Yeah. Like you could, if you were pulling air from the outside in, you would start pressurizing your house from the basement. That could create some goofiness with your, your current HVAC system that you've got, you know, in, in your home. And just the opposite, if you're pulled from the inside of the house to the outside, you know, are you creating a negative pressure differential in your house? You know, that's going to cause issues with efficiency in your actual HVAC system. And, and, you know, by no means am I an expert in this stuff, but that's sort of the 
the warnings that I was getting when I was building the system. I didn't worry about it because it's an S9 and, you know, S9s are, are relatively low CFM there. I've got mine, you know, clicking at like eight to 900 Watts typically. But the second you plug in a new gen that's ripping, you know, 32, 3300 Watts, totally different game. Okay. So that brings me to my next question because I'll go through the, I'll read the stats for you here of what my miner is doing right now. It's the, nice. what's minor? 30 S plus plus or whatever. Cool. Um, uh, so the power, like when I look at the minor on like the, the uh, what's it called? Um, IP address. Um, like the firmware. Yeah. The yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, help me walk through this information. I don't know if I can screen share or figure out how to do that. Um, let me see if I can might be able to share um it's going to give me an option what do i want to share i want to share all right can you see the there we go yeah so this is what um i'm dealing with uh as far as like does that power consumption of 3560 does that mean like how much it's using on average a day uh, so I don't know precisely how it calculates the 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 power consumption in what's miners interface. Mm-hmm. Uh, your the assumption I would make around that is that thirty five sixty three thousand five hundred sixty watts is your your consumption across some kind of period. Um, okay. Every every piece of um, miner firmware is going to do some kind of tuning, which is that sound you hear when you plug it in and it ramps up and it goes down and then it slowly works its way up. And every miner does that in a little bit different way, every brand of miner that is, Mm -hmm. um, until it gets to a point where it will stabilize. And that stabilization happens based on not just the inbound energy. Uh, You get a power outage that's not gonna be drawing 3,500 watts. Um, but it's also contingent on things like your ambient environment. So your efficiency and your power consumption, the, the tuning response of the miner will change relative to something like, you know, sitting in West Texas at 110 degrees in the middle of the day versus sitting in, in Florida at, you know, 70% humidity versus sitting in Colorado or Wyoming at 1,000 feet of altitude where the air is a lot thinner. Um, So what the miner wants to do is it wants to find a stable place where it can just sit based on whatever settings you have it on. And I can see that you've got it on normal mode. Uh, What's miners obviously have like low, normal, and high mode. Um, So it's got this happy spot. It's sitting there at normal mode, and it is just camping. Looks stable. The fans Mm -hmm. are consistent and it's just cranking it looks like 113 terahash okay yeah and so does it um does it then i mean i would assume that that's the amount it's going to use in a month it's saying of 3560 because that's how i is that how you calculate whenever you're buying it it was you know the miner itself i think they say is like 3410 so is it working too hard or is there a re- like I've been messing around with like I put it in low power mode for a couple of days to see what the electricity is doing. Then I put it I haven't put it in high power mode. I don't know what that does. Um, you know, is, is there 
one that's better than the other or so the general is a good question um in going like a minor segue on how how these actual asic boards are produced a lot of people don't it can be a little bit confusing to understand sort of the naming metrics and why what's the difference between an m30 and m30s and m30s plus plus mm-hmm. why do i have a machine that is 110 terahash why do i have a machine that's 100 terahash why do i have this 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 s19j s19j pro why is it doing 96 why is it doing 100 this doesn't make any sense um the short answer is that they're buying a miner is not the same thing as buying an iphone that has this much memory and this many gigabytes of ram because of the way that these chips are produced wind up with a lot of variation in nanometer uh, width of these chips shorter is faster so when you're producing an asic you know the whole the holy grail is how do you get you know your three nanometer chip uh the s9 is a nine nanometer chip for reference um you get variation in those chips when you produce them on mass and when you assemble these boards, that can lead to the variation in the overall terahash that you're getting out of a particular board. Mm-hmm. Now, that's one aspect. That's the, the the physical board. And I've got my, this is actually an S9 board. This is like okay. literally the physical board where you can see the chips, the chips that are actually there. Like each of these is an application specific independent uh, integrated circuit, right? That's your ASIC. I did that just when, so people will be able to see at, it bigger. Oh, sure. Yeah. When I'm looking at something like this, I obviously get the efficiency from the chip, but that's not the entire thing where the efficiency comes from in the miner. Because if you look on the top, I've got these plugs here. This is an S9. Mm-hmm. These three plugs are 100% dedicated to power consumption. And this last plug right here is where the brain of the miner actually talks to the chip itself. So I can get efficiency, not just in the chips, I can get efficiency in the board architecture, I can get efficiency in the firmware, but then importantly, I can also get efficiency in the power supply. So in something like a Watts miner, the difference between a Watts miner M30S and an M30S++ is the efficiency of the power supply unit, which is the thing that you plug into the wall that is dumping all of that electricity into the chips themselves. So if I'm, if I'm looking at, say, like your machine that you've got running there, the general sort of thermodynamic rule of thumb, and we found this to be really true with the S9s, is that the harder that you rip it and the hotter the ambient temperature, the less efficient you're going to get. You know, this is, this is like simple thermodynamics, right? Like if mm. my system is more heat, more, if I heat my system more, it's going to become less efficient overall. What people with the S9s, and this is a lot of sort of, you know, tinkering engineer dudes on Twitter, Anons that are posting shit. So, you know, that this is how we do our research, right? Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of guys swear by 800 to 900 watts on S9s. And now remember, an S9 is rated up to like 1400 watts. Mm -hmm. So with the advent of obviously firmware, so like brains that you can run on these S9s has kind of changed the game. But running an S9 at something like eight, 900 watts is actually more efficient than running it at something like 1400 watts. The same thing applies to the watts miners. So I actually have a buddy who swears by running his watts miners in low mode because relative to the electrical consumption you're going to have, 
you don't get a proportional fall off in the actual terahash that you generate. Now, the question that you ask yourself is like, well, why would I want to do that? You say, why well, would I want to run them on high mode? There are a set of guys out there. And I've talked to a lot of them. This is not me myself, mm -hmm. um, but there's a large group of people out there who want to buy the highest terahash miners and they want to throw the highest wattage possible through them. They want to overclock these suckers and just cook them because th what they're banking on is they're banking on the hat coming and they just want to cook these miners. They don't care that it's a $10,000, $7,000 machine. They just want as much terahash now, sort of this low time preference mining. So they don't care about efficiency. They literally just want to rip these miners to shreds and stack as much Bitcoin as possible before the next halving. Mm -hmm. That's very different from people who are buying, say, a what's miner and they want to offset a cost or they want to stack no KYC. They're more concerned with the longevity of the miner. And so in a situation like that, okay, I want to play an efficiency game. So instead of me just ripping as hard as I possibly can and you know potentially frying this thing, I don't have fiat banking rails where I can go get you know three four percent rates and just take another ten million dollars in debt. What I want to do is I want to run my what's miner as efficiently as possible, which might mean that I give up a little bit of my terahash, but it means that you know on the fan side of things it's going to run a little bit quieter. I'm going to improve my quality of life, and then it means on the stacking side of things I'm able to preserve my machine a little bit longer. So mm -hmm. that's kind of the general rule of thumb around, you know, electrical consumption, the efficiency side of things. And to be frank, this stuff is very early days. Like, there is no authoritative handbook on running at this particular mode with this particular settings. It really is. We're in sort of this like, like tinkering, like Benjamin Franklin with the cut string, trying mm -hmm. to figure out how all these pieces fit together right now. Okay. Yeah, that's one thing I've learned with Bitcoin. And that's what like, this is going to be one of the this is going to be part of my Bitcoin mining series because um, I kind of announced and put like did like an episode said like I'm going to get into Bitcoin mining, kind of explain my thought process. And I had a lot of people DM me and saying like, hey, I'm really excited. Like, I want to hear how this goes, you know. Um, yeah. And so that's why these conversations are so important, because it really there isn't much of a <laughs> there isn't much of a, uh, you know, uh, a, a, a guidebook to, to what to do. Um so you're saying it's like it, when I was looking at those numbers, like the power consumption, I might see that power consumption go down if I put it in normal mode or low mode, maybe go down by 20%, but the terahash only goes down 10%. So that would mean I'm more profitable. Yeah. Relative to your electrical consumption. Okay. Okay. That's so right. that's the, I didn't know if that would actively reflect the the change there. Um, I assume that that's pretty pretty quick because i mean and then i I also got to figure out if my ac is running more um just because we haven't been in this house for more than we've been here six months so like i don't know what the historical like what you know i know i have the history of what the prior users did but like they heated the pool like to like 95 degrees all summer long <laughs> And like I heard from people, like neighbors, I mean, we don't have we have one person that can see like potentially see our backyard. And they were like, I saw steam coming off that thing in the mornings when I was like out in, like in the woods or stuff. You know, so they I love it. They ran the heater. They ran and they were like saying their electrical bill was like through the roof. But I yeah. think they just use, like kind of used more. So I have no idea what our like historical footprint should look like. 
and here I am just like running a miner. So I'm like, I'm trying to differentiate and figure out. Like, I think the, I mean, with the Bitcoin price right now, I think the profitability is really low. Um, yeah. Just because of the price. Um, but, you know, and this is advice, and I'll mention it again to people. I've been saying is it's like, I look at it as a way of like washing my KYC Bitcoin. Cause like, instead of me taking my non KYC Bitcoin that I have now mined, taking you know at this rate probably 90 percent of it and paying off the electric electrical bill instead of doing that i'm taking my stuff that i bought off coinbase years ago and other things yeah and selling that that's right and paying for it and then that magical internet money that came off the miner is going straight to the wallet that nobody knows about that's right um so you know that even if it's a wash i look at it as it's a still a win but like obviously hodling, you know, it's we know where the price is going to go. Um, okay, so so you think one the one what's minor that I'm running now would be able to heat my house? I live in Pennsylvania, so like I shouldn't have a problem heating the house with uh with that thing. Yeah, I mean it depends on how you duct it. It depends on your square footage. You know, you're still going to want the the fanning periodically, whether or not the actual system is kicking on. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it's not um, it's not rocket science, right? Like it's mm-hmm. you can get you can get a pair of tin snips, and you can cut a hole into your HVAC uh, your your return box, and you can throw you know an eight inch um, essentially there's a little insert that you put in there, and you can seal it up. Like it, it'll cost you it'll cost you a hundred something bucks, two hundred bucks, and you can you can pump your uh, you can pump your heat into it, and you can see what it does. You know, it, there's a hundred percent chance that it reduces of time that your your system runs because you're going to be putting that heat to use or you could just you know leave the basement door open you know flip around your whole system and and use that inline fan to basically just throw that air into your uh into your basement it will rise regardless and you know there's there's a million and one ways to do it there there are guys that do everything from um you know double loop immersion cooled systems that switch from your water cooling to your air cooling and then will cool with a dry cooler. I don't have enough engineering degrees to to be able to figure that one out on a weekend. And there are other guys who literally just, you know, put it in in a black box in their basement. And when they are feeling a little bit cold, they open up the door and that heat comes out. Or if it's a little bit warm, they just vent it out through one of their their egress windows. So it's mm. uh, it's an inexact science in all ways right now. Yeah, the um, uh, it's, it's the doing the you would want to put it into the return vent, I assume, like aiming towards where the blower is, but like as close to the HVAC unit as possible in the return, so that the fan will blow it. I would assume that's what that's what I did. Um, not an HVAC expert. Yeah, uh, no, no. Didn't even have tin snips. It was it was very sketchy cutting the hole in the side of that uh, that return. Um, highly recommend gloves and proper tools and equipment. But yeah, at the end of the day, like if there's heat going into your house, like it's a simple system. Like your your thermostat is going to read the ambient temperature of your house. If it gets below a certain threshold, it's going to click on your system. Your system is going to it's going to suck air through your returns, and you can you can get very technical with that in the way that you want to go about it but it's you know it's a simple it's a simple system it's um yeah. it's going to heat your house you know there's yeah. there, there's there's a non-zero chance that 
provide a substantial amount to your house. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, uh, so you mentioned a couple more questions. I won't take too much of your time. For sure. I know you probably got to run. Um, but we, um, so you're, I saw some of those videos of the cooler vent. And like, I love the black box, which by the way, if Steve's listening, uh, I've, I've sent him a DM, him and I don't know each other. So we haven't connected. I sent him a DM and I said, dude, you send me a black box. I will shill it on the podcast for like a year. Thing. Um, I mean, it is, it is commercial grade equipment, right? Commercial industrial grade equipment. That's what, that's why it freaks you out the first time you plug it in because you actually understand what, you know, 33, 3,500 Watts looks and feels like. And if you're, if you're not scared of it or don't have a healthy respect of it, you probably shouldn't be mining in the first place because you know, that, that amount of energy can very, you know, quickly end your family line. It's not messing around with electricity. You know, there's a reason, there's a reason why you have to really know what you're doing when you start getting a half megawatt megawatt plus, uh, not even speaking of like the 10 plus megawatts of power. Um, the big, it's a big question. This like black box issue, right? Um, the thing to remember is that, <sighs> So with with the the black box itself, so essentially like a, um, it's fabbed out entirely out of materials that are commercial grade. So everything is is specced essentially that, you know, if the miner wanted to catch on fire inside there, it wouldn't it wouldn't really torch the black box, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, you know, the miner itself has protective systems built into it. You know, we're thinking, what is the catastrophic case? The catastrophic case is that, you know, I have electricity arcing through my machine and it's it's going off the wires, it's shooting sparks and things like this. You know, I've never seen anything like that happen. You know, more common that I've seen, you know, out of the hundreds of machines that we've been running with our, with our facility is that you have a bad uh, power supply unit. So there was a a batch of some like early what's miners that had uh, bad power supplies. I don't know what was wrong with them, but they had the tendency to, um, to blow. Essentially it looked like it like would shoot sparkles out the top of them, like very, very scary, but not something that is causing like a catastrophic fire. What generally happens is that something pops. It scares the piss out of you if you're within, you know, 50 feet of it and the itself down. You know, that being said, when you start putting into something like a black box, it's it's safe. It is rated to dissipate that many watts in heat. It's actually over engineered with the surface area on the front vents and the the intake on the back vents. Um, so the cooling issue is, is, is not really an issue because the box itself is rated to disperse that much heat. You know, the fire issue is not a huge issue because, you know, the materials of the black box and even the homemade black box, you know, it's there's the carpet padding there. But then there's also the sheathing of asphalt, um, asphalt sheathing, mm-hmm. you know, all that stuff is fire resistant as well. Um, so it's not going to you're not going to walk into your backyard and see this thing just up like a Roman candle. It tends to be something fails, something shuts down that, you know, the system goes goes bunk. It is not one of these things where you've got live king wires like a like a power line after a rainstorm or something is dancing around your street like that that is not something that really happens um these are not poorly engineered machines in that kind of way mm-hmm. um now what would be the advantage of a black box as opposed to the cooler method like you said like because right now i'm like okay i have one asic i could buy a cooler at walmart for 25 bucks that i could cut the hole in on each side run the insulated tubes out have an inline fan and I could potentially solve my noise problem. Yeah. It's not gonna, 
the big so the big thing with the black box from an architectural standpoint um, is that it, it is designed very intentionally to be maximal airflow with what's called a tortuous path. Mm-hmm. So the air is able to get through in the volume that is needed to sufficiently cool the miner at max fan speed. <laughs> Excuse me. However, because of the 90 degree turns that are built into this you know, symmetrical box, the sound doesn't like to make those 90 degree turns. Mm. So it's rated for the maximal airflow. It is architecturally designed in a way that makes it very hard for the sound to bounce. So we do see really substantial decibel reductions um, using these black boxes. You know, the brown box, the one that I I built and now sits in my garage is one thing. You know, the actual commercial grade ones are, are, you know, obviously even, even superior to that. Uh, you know, I'm seeing guys that are getting boxes that are dropping their miners like 55 or sub 55 decibels. Um, and these are the ripping. You're you're just not going to get that with something like a cooler. So yeah. you might get, you know, three to seven decibels reduced in, in a cooler. Now, that being said, it's easy to go to Walmart and buy a cooler and go around and play with that. But, you know, again, this is not it's not really commercial grade. It's something that is typically like made out of plastic or it's injection molded. So like I personally would be a little more nervous tossing the miner into, uh, into a cooler and then having it run at that high temperature. Cause I don't know much about like, is the plastic going to melt? Is it going to soften? Is it going to create issues when it's sitting there for, you know, three or four months? Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, the, we've really focused on, you know, the architecture of the black box as being something that, um, really makes the most sense to us. And it's even it's even to the point where uh, as Steve now goes in and he's starting to do like V2 of some of our hash huts, he's actually taking a lot of the lessons from the black box and applying them to the hash huts. So things like, you know, the symmetrical design, um, things like how you position the miner higher up in the actual box. And what that means is that you, you essentially decrease your risk of things like you know, water ingress or dust and debris coming in and moving through and actually getting to your miner. So there are all these little, these little things that you don't necessarily think about until you, until you actually talk to an engineer who is, who's put in a few hundred hours and actually designing this thing. Um, that kind of resonates throughout now, eventually all of the company's products, you know, that would be my recommendation is like definitely, you know, experiment by all means experiment, but you know, it's, there's very intentional reasons why the black box is designed the way it is. And it it's working pretty impressively just based on what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and for comparison for people, I mean, what's a, what's minor tip? I haven't tested the decibels, but what's it usually something like that run at? I mean, it depends on the fans, depends on like the, the ambient temperature and how hard the fans are running, but you'd be seeing something ripping it like, you know, the seventies, the like mid, mid or high seventies, uh, which is like, an, it's an uncomfortable thing to be standing by. Uh, when you start to, when you start to get stuff down into like the sixties and fifties is where it tends to become more sort of a, like a let let go in, in your sort of ambient background. You know, it's not going to be quite like the peaceful force of your, like it's definitely not what you're going to be getting. There's going to be some kind of sound. But when you start getting into that, like mid-low 60s, you start getting 60, definitely sub-60. That's where it becomes one of those things where you're, you're only going to really notice it if you if you try to attenuate to it. And even there, it depends, it depends on how close you to it. We've got guys that are throwing their black boxes in their backyards next to their, their condenser units 
or underneath their decks and things like this. And they say like, yeah, I'm sitting out on my patio. I don't, I don't hear it unless I'm really trying to listen for it. Um, that's really the goal is that I just kind of, it's quiet enough that you're not going to, it, it's not going to be bugging you. It's not going to be top of mind. It's just going to kind of fall into the background. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, and then last question, I promise you mentioned the inline fan and that can kill the the noise. Um, like you can, re- you so if I buy like an eight inch fan, because how big are the fans on a miner typically? Those are like five inches, maybe six. Uh, depends what kind. The what's miners are a little bigger, um, a little bigger than the S19s. But of course, like the S19s have twice as many fans. Mm-hmm. So, so if you, yeah. if you put like, uh, if you get an inline fan, in I would assume you something like crypto cloaks to get a 3D printed attachment. Um, get some and, mining pants. What's that? Get your mining pants. He calls them. Oh, is that what they're called? Yeah, they look like pants when you hold them up. Oh, oh, is it the for the um, S19 because they've got like yeah, the two kind of legs for each side. Yeah. Um. So if you pump an eight inch into that an inline fan like something you buy online which by the way we'll dm back and forth and like any recommendations you have for products i'll put in the show notes for everybody um you know just you know this is not financial or architectural or uh hvac advice this is just electric yeah this is not any of that but if you are looking to buy these products uh i'll share those um but like that should kill a lot of the sound it does. So I are I we have, taking down the block black box level or still like 60s? I mean, it depends on your setup. So like personally, I I was looking through a lot of different inline fan setups. You know, I'm in I'm in Colorado and believe it or not, there's a lot of cannabis grown here mm-hmm. and a lot of guys that are selling inline fans. And so I was kind of kicking tires for like some of the larger six inch, eight inch inline fans, <clears throat> which wind up actually being for my particular use case, not the best because I was trying to optimize for uh, for quality of life. So I went for the uh, AC Infinity brand. And what, I, what I've liked about what they have is that it's not a terribly loud, they're actually particularly quiet, even running you know, at their like 80, 90% capacity. They also have variable speeds. And there's another version that has sort of thermostat functionality, which I haven't messed with. I've just kind of had the simple one that I can I can get up to the, the level that I want and leave it. Um, the name of the game when you're starting to mess with inline fans is that um, what you're essentially wanting to do is that you, you want to make sure that you're pumping more CFM uh, cubic feet per minute than the max CFM of the actual miner. And... Mm you want to be generally creating a positive pressure differential because if you're creating positive pressure, which basically just means that you have the inline fan and then the minor, you are, it's almost like you're trying to um, sort of force, like you're pushing more air through the machine. And it can even handle. Then it may necessarily be even able to handle. You would, that is a better way to be than to have your fan on the other side and to working harder have to more CFM more. coming through your machine than is able to go through your inline fan. Because what can happen in that situation is that you wind up with a static pressure between the exhaust of the miner and the intake of your inline fan. So imagine like all of this air comes through your miner. It is kind of ambient. Maybe you've got it coming through a tube or something, some kind of filter, whatever it might be. You know, generally the lower pressure, the better, which is why people tell you to go for like the larger ducting. 
it goes into your miner. It obviously accelerates past the fan. It gets nice and hot, you know, trying to take as much heat as it can from those chips. And then it gets spat out the back end. And when it gets spat out the back end, if your fan doesn't have high FM on the other side, it winds up sitting there and it can actually create this sort of wall effect where the, the air is not able to actually vent through your, your inline fan. And it kind of sits there and you can get hot air ingress back into your machine. You can get it to start overheat and things like this. And that's not even to mention the fact that the jury is, is still kind of out on uh, running that already heated air through your inline fan because that will heat up your inline fan and it will make your inline fan less efficient. So the name of the game in air cooling is, is keep the keep the airflow as high as you can. Um, you can start to experiment with like no fans. I mean, it's really this is still the wild west. So nobody really has the quick and dirty solutions to things. But the general rule of thumbs are if you're going to go with the inline fan, go positive, positive pressure. Don't torch it by putting it in the back end. Don't run the risk of. Uh, of creating that static pressure on the back end and then overheating your machine. Uh, but of course, you know, your, your results will vary. It could be, you know, if you, this is the kind of system where, you know, if your tubing is twice as long, it's going to change the dynamic of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. uh, so it really is a case of kind of figuring out the, the principles that, that serve you best in your implementation. Okay. So put it on the intake side, get as much air going as possible. And, and that'll be, that'll be my first step. <laughs> get a, get a fan. Yeah. A supplemental fan. That's, I think, step one. Step two is attach the tube so that it goes outside. And yeah, and then make sure your your exhaust hole is big enough so that you can get all that air successfully out. Because a lot of those, a lot of those uh, dampers, like those automatic dampers that they have on, mm -hmm. particularly um, like your your uh, dryer exhaust, they're not gonna they're gonna choke a little bit on the exhaust so make sure whatever you've got pumping out there is gonna let the air really get cranking out so you need like an eight inch wide open hole it's a big hole yeah um, <laughs> that's why a lot of guys go through like garages or they go through like uh windows and garages and stuff like that because that's a big hole if you're putting something like that in your uh uh in your basement through your foundation yeah yeah i might i might go the laundry room's right above so i might cut up into the laundry room and go out the window there. That might be better. That's right. Um, Cause that'll be easier. <laughs> Cause so an eight inch hole. And I mean, like what do you make or nothing's going to crawl in or you're not going to get stuff in there, but like without a damper, are you? I mean, you're going to want to, you're going to want to put uh, like some kind of mesh screen or something uh, like some just chicken wire or something. Right. Um, yeah. It'll be a nice place to hang out in the winter. You know, I'm sure. I'm sure the squirrels are want something to chill by uh, yeah. if you get some of these like, you know, 20 degree days. Well, funny thing is we're going to actually get chickens so that we, that's our last thing that we have to rely on anybody else, but the chicken coop will I be love heated. It. Chicken yeah. coop will be heated. That's so, exactly. Um, keep the girls right. warm. Yep. Well, dude, I, Rob, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for hanging extra time uh, than we had booked, but, um, but where can people find you and, and check out all the work you, you're doing and I'll put, make sure to put the article and all the stuff we've talked about in the show notes. For sure. For sure. Yeah. So the easiest place to find me is just on, uh, on Twitter at bikes and Bitcoin, all one word. Um, it's got my name there, Rob W bikes and Bitcoin. And then that can kind of take you down the rabbit hole of, you know, other stuff that, that I've been building it's a Bitcoin magazine contributor, writing some stuff there around home mining, uh, and then from there, you can explore a little bit in the distributed hash side of things. 
Um, so we just got the Twitter up. It's hash distributed. And yeah, really the best thing is, you know, if you DM me on Twitter, I'm happy to send you any more information about that, that you might be curious. And, but yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It's really been a, it's been a pleasure and it's, it's one of those things that is so intimidating to everybody and it doesn't get any less intimidating once you actually start participating in it, because, you know, it's one thing to program a protocol and then have some of the smartest programmers on the face of the earth, look at it and go, you know, this is crap um, for X, Y, Z game theoretic reasons. Mm -hmm. It's a very different thing to say, Hey, I want to take an entrepreneurial, you know, bet and see if we can integrate this energy buying market into waste gases on, you know, the Permian basin or on my solar or my wind farm. Um, that's such a different world to play in. And I think that, you know, I think I, I just want people to appreciate it and I want them to not understand it because you're not going to understand it. Uh, but I want you to get the point that, you know, Energy is human flourishing. Energy is societal growth. You know, energy is the future of mankind. And you don't you don't grow as a community by reducing the amount of energy that people have access to. That's absolutely backwards and absolutely mm -hmm. anti-human. And and Bitcoin, very truly, in a in a non-hype way, is the primary buyer and the terminal buyer of energy resources, which incentivizes more energy production, which incentivizes human flourishing. And I think that that's something that, that cannot be overstated enough. I think that people intuitively get it, but I, I think that they need to, I think they need to see it. I think they need to do what you're doing, which is get the miner, put in the basement, risk a divorce, then start to figure out how to actually get the pieces together. And then, then actually have some respect for the protocol and how this thing runs, which is, which is what I like so much about the way that you're actually doing it. Yeah. You got, you got to get, you got to dip your toes in and, you know, and you just got to do it. That's how I did it originally with Bitcoin. I said, you got to invest enough where if it dips, you sweat. Mm -hmm. um, and that's how I really learned about Bitcoin and like really okay, I need to understand this thing. Um, and now, now with the miner, it's like, okay, yeah, no, I got to understand this too. So um, that's right. But yeah. Um, well, I appreciate you coming on and I look forward to doing it again. Amazing. Likewise. Thanks again to Rob for coming on. And thanks again to our sponsor, the Bitbox O2 hardware wallet from Shift Crypto. Go to shiftcrypto.ch slash Bitcoin made simple and use the promo code Bitcoin made simple to get 5% off. Talk to you guys next week. Bye.